0: From WJFF Radio Catskill, this is close to home—the podcast that explores the people, issues, and institutions in the Catskill Mountains, the heart of small-town America. We're your hosts, Leif Johansson and Nate DePaul. For tuning in. Fall is here, and I must admit, I think it's my favorite season, especially here in upstate New York. The leaves are changing into beautiful reds and oranges and yellows, apple picking is in full swing, and I have made my first pot of butternut squash soup for the season. As the nights have gotten colder in these last few days, I've started thinking about getting the sourdough starter going again. Life is good. But fall also means that hundreds of thousands of New Yorkers are getting ready for their own tradition, hunting season. Of course, it's not just one hunting season, it's a handful of them for different targets and for different weapons. But most of them are coming up in the next few weeks. And at the time of this recording, bow hunting season is already well underway. I've wanted to do an episode on this for a while, because even though I didn't go hunting when I was growing up, virtually all of my friends and their families did. And until not that many years ago, my high school used to close every year on the first day of hunting season. It's just a big deal. And for so many folks, it is synonymous with family time and the upcoming holiday season. So in recognition of the cultural and environmental significance of hunting season in our communities, I sat down virtually the other day with Jeremy Hurst, the game management section head for the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation to learn about the current state of hunting in our region.
1: I oversee the management programs for all the species that are hunted and trapped in New York. Um, I've been with the state for 17 years, predominantly in the big game management program, so deer, bear, and moose. So I have a lot of
0: uh, familiarity with that uh, material in particular. Can you just give me a sense of how popular hunting and trapping is in New York State? Sure. So we have uh, roughly 560,000 hunters that buy licenses
1: every year. There's some flux with that. Uh, Some years are higher than others. So we saw an increase in 2020 during COVID when more people had time. Um, And so it varies a little bit from year to year. And there's some folks coming in and out uh, on any given year but roughly 560,000. We've seen that number decline over the long term, but it's been fairly stable for about a decade in New York. Uh, And so nationally, the number of hunters has declined since the eighties, we've seen the same pattern, Um, but there is some current stabilization. One of the challenges though, is that the age of our hunters continues to go up. And so we aren't getting new hunters in at younger ages at the same rate that older hunters are kind of aging out. And so the, the future prospects for hunting, at least for the number of hunters, um, at least it looks like it's going to be a diminishment over time. And so many efforts that the state's engaged in, as well as uh, other state agencies are are trying to forestall that trend and and turn it around. And so the number of trappers is obviously quite a bit less. Um, but on the whole, hunting is a very popular activity for New Yorkers, particularly upstate rural New Yorkers. Um, we've seen some demographic shifts as we've engaged more user groups, uh, in particular women, are, are an increasing portion of our hunters. Still a small fraction of our licensed hunters are women, but it's changing. And we're seeing folks that have expressed interest in learning about where their meat comes from and having some sustainable harvest and and uh, providing sort of a, a conservation ethic and ecology-based Um, motivation for getting engaged in hunting so that's a that's a trend that's occurring again it's probably small on the whole but it is uh, it's an encouraging trend Um, and so that's happening in new york Uh, hunting in of itself is a a critically important component particularly for species like deer where they as a as a population can impart some pretty substantial changes and damage to the habitat as a whole if their populations are allowed to grow too high, uh, not just on the habitat, but on people's livelihoods and, and people's properties. Um, and so, so we need to manage them, uh, manage their populations to mitigate those impacts, both ecologically and, and socially and hunting is the primary tool to do that. Uh, we have 560,000 people that are willing to do it and they do harvest deer. And that contributes both ecological benefit, a social benefit and provides thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds of food for
0: New Yorkers every year. So given that the average age of hunters is increasing over time, and it seems that this is a serious concern for ecology and and biodiversity in New York state, that, that we continue to have a strong population of hunters to control something like the deer population. If it is the case that we don't end up with lots of young people who decide to get into hunting over time how does the DEC go about controlling a deer population that is really only kept down through hunting right now yeah it's a good question um
1: and there isn't necessarily a great answer at the moment however it's not a dire situation yet either we are forecasting some patterns and some trends that are concerning and certainly it's something that we need to stay on top of and are trying to step in programs now to minimize the risk of of these impacts later um but it's not like we're approaching a cliff and we need to to avoid that cliff there is some concern in other places in the country that that may be having a more dire uh forecast in the near future but anyhow the the issue for us is that we are looking at ways that we can make our existing hunters more effective Uh, we have as i said five hundred sixty thousand hunters and i'll just focus on deer because that is one, the, one of the, the flagship species that gets hunted in the state uh, also creates a, a lot of challenges for us. We harvest about 210, 230,000 deer a year. I would like to see that number increase, but we have a diverse state and diverse needs within the state. And so there's some areas where we don't need to harvest more deer, other areas where we do. Uh, and particularly in your neck of the woods in Sullivan County, we really don't need to harvest more deer. We're doing okay. Hunters are able to keep the deer population under control in that area as they have been, and probably will continue to do so. Um, Neighboring Orange County, different story. We've got more productive habitat, uh, a little bit more development in some places. And so it's a little harder for us to maintain a deer population control there with the typical means that we have for hunting, which is why in the neighboring county there, in Orange, part of Orange County, we have implemented an early September season for antlerless deer to give hunters a new opportunity to take advantage of a longer season to focus their harvest on antlerless deer, which is gonna have the most impact on managing the overall population. So you're gonna start to see over time, not next year necessarily, but in the future, as we look for strategies to make existing hunters more effective, giving them additional opportunities, um, creating new incentives to to have hunters
0: take more deer uh, or to take a deer. Are there other species that also have an overpopulation problem that that hunting or or trapping impacts? Sure, so geese would be another easy example, Uh,
1: Canada, Canada geese. And so interestingly with Canada geese, we have kind of two different pictures going on because they're a migratory species. We have geese that reside in New York breed and and live in New York and generally stay here. And that population is growing, lots of habitat for them, good conditions for them to to, uh, overwinter and produce young. And so we have populations that grow really well. But then we have this other group of geese that comes from northern Canada, flies through New York in the fall. That population isn't doing quite as well. And so we have to manage those two components differently. And so uh, the Atlantic population of geese, the resident geese that fly through, Uh, we need to set more restrictive bag limits for the time period that that those geese are migrating through new york hunters have limited opportunity to take those but the resident geese that are here in september before they start to migrate we have very liberal opportunities for hunters to take those deer or excuse me those geese so that uh, we can we can have some impact on that population before they migrate out and before the the atlantic population geese move through uh, so it, it makes it challenging because in in many hunters minds and certainly for most of the public, a goose is a goose, right? It's, it's just out there on the golf course uh, or or on the lake. And so they may not distinguish the difference between these two subpopulations of geese and the need for us to manage them very differently. And so um, so, yeah, geese can become a problem. Also snow geese, um, we don't see them quite as often, uh, but they pass through New York and in sometimes in great numbers. Um, And they have more of an impact on their breeding and feeding grounds in in northern Canada where they can uh, really over browse the tundra that they reside on. And so as a flyway, New York, as well as other states through which the the snow geese migrate, we have to contribute to try to reduce that overall population. So it's actually benefiting the habitat in northern Canada.
0: So does the DEC actually have contacts with our our neighbors in canada where you guys are are keeping open communications about look we need to do what we can to you know change these populations because there are issues either in the u.s or in canada that both of us have an impact on absolutely and so particularly for migratory
1: species like geese and waterfowl uh, we work closely with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, as well as all the states and provinces in those flyways where those birds migrate through to make mm. sure that we're doing things comprehensively and co-coordinated. Uh, we can learn together. We can uh, work together. In some cases, do research together and make sure that
0: we're all um, you know, just using the best science to make our decisions. If I wanted to become a hunter in New York State, what would I need to do? Would you mind just kind of walking folks who aren't current hunters through that process? So
1: it starts with the interest, right? And and so that can develop in a variety of different ways, either through family relationships or just the curiosity. Now, the actual legal process isn't that difficult, but a hunter, in order to be licensed in New York, has to go through a hunter education training program. And so to hunt with a firearm or hunt at all, um the the person needs to take that hunter education course and we provide that both in person and online and and so the those courses are available throughout the fall of course the online course is available at any time um in some cases it involves uh a field component where there would be handling of firearms and um and just familiarity with with shooting under different scenarios um, in all cases, it involves familiarity with understanding how the firearm works. For folks that take the online course, we also provide some other opportunities for them to, to get additional training if they'd like in the next step course uh, to better understand how to use the firearm. If they want to hunt with a bow, uh, archery hunting, there's an initial course that's necessary to get the privilege to hunt with a bow because the tactics as well as the implement are different. And so we need to make sure that folks understand the safety of courses is paramount in both of these courses. But it's important to also understand the ecology, the conservation value of hunting, uh, the relationship that we have with the land as well as landowners, um, and, and then um, how to best use the implement. So the hunting course is separate. Trappers have to take an additional course in order to get licensed to do that. So those are the legal requirements to, to be prepared to buy your license. And then to actually buy the license is just the fee and purchasing what you're eligible for. Um, and so it's not that difficult. Actually, those hurdles are pretty easy for most folks to get through. The next step is the hardest one. And that is to actually go out there because it can be pretty daunting for folks who aren't hunters to say, okay, now I've got this license and I'm gonna borrow this shotgun or I have a shotgun, I'm gonna go out. Now now what do I do, right? That's that's the hurdle for a lot of folks. And so we've made tools available on our website to provide opportunity for folks to see where public lands are, that they can go out and, and explore the public lands and find pheasants or find grouse and squirrels and rabbits or to hunt deer. Um, and we're also engaging more recently in the development of next step pro- courses, and I, I mentioned this a moment ago. And these are courses really to help people get over that next hurdle. How do you go about actually hunting with a bow or hunting with a firearm? What is it like to gut a deer? Um, you know, th- those are those are some, in some cases, substantial obstacles for people. Um, there's also a whole variety of mentoring programs that exist in the state uh, groups like the national deer association that hold field, the fork programs where they can take out new hunters and walk them through the process of, of being engaged in the act of hunting, act of harvest. And then what, how do you process that animal and turn it into table fare? Uh, and so those kind of comprehensive programs, we're moving more towards that and, and working with other partner groups to do those types of
0: things. So once one has the license as well, you would need tags to get a certain number of a certain type of animal. Is that correct?
1: In some cases, some species like rabbits and squirrels, we have daily bag limits or season bag limits, where uh, where a hunter is limited to the number of animals that they can harvest and take into possession on a daily basis, and and so there's no specific tags for that. Uh, you have your hunting license. Rabbit season opens up on Saturday in Sullivan County. It's six rabbits per day. You can go out and harvest some rabbits and you know have dinner that night. Um, for deer. And f- uh, for bear, for turkey, we issue specific tags. Uh, everybody that buys a license gets a tag for the regular deer season, which is a, a antlered buck tag for the deer, and they're issued a bear tag. And that gives them the opportunity to, to harvest a deer or bear in those, in those seasons. Um, if a hunter wants to harvest an antlerless deer, which we want in most cases for hunters to have the opportunity, they have to uh, acquire that antlerless tag through a lottery system or a, an application system per se. So we have to vary the number of antlerless tags that we can make available to accomplish the management we want. For instance, in parts of Sullivan County, it's pretty difficult to get an antlerless tag because we don't need to harvest that many antlerless deer. Whereas neighboring Orange County, it's pretty easy to get an antlers tag because we have a lot of deer that we want to take. And so in those cases, we make a varying number of tags available so that we can control how many deer get harvested or how many antlers deer get harvested there. But those are the tags that are necessary. For turkey, if someone wants to to hunt for turkey, they can uh, also purchase the privilege to get turkey tags for both the fall and the spring.
0: How have firearms laws and regulations changed in in New York in recent years, and how has that impacted hunting and hunters?
1: Yeah, so I mean, hunters use firearms, right? So they're either firearms owners or firearms users, and uh, and when the law uh, when the state's laws change, that it impacts how hunters either possess, purchase, or or transport their firearms. Um, so there have been several new laws that were in place this summer. We have posted information on our website to try to give hunters and gun owners more detail about the implications of those new rules. Um, It will affect how hunters transport their firearms, but doesn't necessarily affect how hunters engage in the act of hunting in the field. Um, There are some restrictions in terms of where uh, hunters may be when they're not hunting. Uh, So if they have their firearm, there's limitations on where they may be in, in that case. Uh, but for the actual active hunting there's relatively little impact getting to your hunting spot there are some impacts and so this is really nuanced the and and i think there's gonna there there's a lot of question in many folks minds as to that and and so it's more than we can cover here i guess i would just refer uh, hunters and gun owners to our website where we've posted several documents and frequently asked questions that really get into all the details about how it affects gun owners But as we are learning, there are more questions that come up because there are nuances. Uh, And so we're still taking questions from folks and trying to get greater understanding of the implications of the new laws. Um, And so I would refer people to our website. You can go to just do an Internet search for New York DEC hunting and you'll find our main hunting page with a link for those those documents.
0: How is hunting itself? policed and regulated is it the dec that would be responsible for enforcing laws around hunting is it the dec are police officers responsible for in- enforcing the different policies around making sure that people are safe when they're hunting so
1: dec has our own arm of law enforcement environmental conservation police and they're charged with enforcing environmental conservation laws and regulations um, the way this works is the the state legislature and governor have written the laws of the state that affect how hunting occurs uh, in in large ways, uh, in most ways. But they've also granted the Department of Environmental Conservation, us, with certain authorities, how to manage species and so on, and how to set regulations for how we manage. So some aspects of hunting are governed by state laws. For instance, you can't hunt over bait, state law. But some aspects are regulated by, by DEC through regulations. Now, the nuance is different, some things like bait would have to require a law change by the legislature to, to shift other things like uh, the time of day at which deer hunting occurs are set by DEC through our regulation. And so we made that modification last year so that hunters can now begin their daily hunting of deer or bear a half hour before sunrise and end a half hour after sunset. That's a recent change that we made by regulation. doesn't require a law change. Our conservation officers for, for Department of Environmental Conservation enforce those laws. And so, for instance, shooting from a vehicle is a state law prohibited to shoot from a vehicle. Our enforcement officers would, would, would handle that as a violation of state law. And so, it's a combination of both the laws and the regs, the regulations that govern what hunters can do. A, a large part of what our hunters learn in their hunter education class uh, is an exposure to those laws and regulations. And of course, every year we publish this regulations guide this booklet that has a summary of all the hunting and trapping regulations and laws as a means for hunters to be aware of what
0: their limitations are. What do you think the biggest misconceptions are that people often have about hunting? (laughs) They're broad. I'd say what we hear most often
1: from folks that aren't familiar with hunting is a lack of awareness of the safety side of things. There may be a misconception that hunters are just shooting their firearms willy-nilly off in space um, at anything that moves. And the reality is hunters are, um, are very safe and the number of incidents that we have uh, is very few relative to the number of people that are out in the field. Um, and we, through years and years of ingrained hunter education and teaching safe firearm handling practices, we have that benefit. Um, we're seeing that benefit in very few injuries from year to year. Hunters are keyed in on trying to harvest a specific animal. Uh, and, and so they need to be aware of where that animal is relative to its surroundings and what, you know, what other risks may be out there, like houses in the background, that sort of thing. Uh, but also they're not just shooting at anything that moves because they need to make sure that they're, what they're shooting at is, is a black bear uh, and that not a black lab. And so there's maybe a misconception in terms of risk. The risk uh, related to firearms used by hunting is, is quite small statistically risks associated with other sporting activities are extremely high relative to injury related to, it, to hunting activities so that's one um, but certainly you know just the use of firearms is is intimidating for a lot of folks and so I can understand that uh, that starting place of, of concern um, there's also I think a, a misconception that, uh, that hunting's not necessary but yet we clearly know that some species in particular, have the potential to do great harm to their environment and to, to public property if we don't do some intervention. Or we're way past the situation where humans aren't on the landscape and populations can regulate themselves. Uh, we've influenced the landscape such that we need to also intervene in these populations. And so hunting provides a critical tool for us to do that. And so there is great benefit ecologically as well as socially uh, for hunters to do that work.
0: Why is it that we have, uh hunting seasons when we have them you know why is it in the fall that we have most of our availability for hunting seasons is it related to something with people or is it related to something with with the animals and and why do we have different seasons for different types of weapons as well
1: so there's there's multiple facets to that answer um some of it's just tradition right it's it's happened this way for 100 years and so that's how it happens and so there's <laughs> okay um, there's some aspect of that but we're we're not in a scenario where new yorkers broadly need game meat to subsist right we're not just all feeding our families strictly with game meat. Um, and when that occurred there really weren't seasons um, and a consequence of that is when people hunted all year long to subs to, to provide for their families uh, and to provide for others populations really plummeted across the state and we had situations where there weren't deer or turkey or bears in many places in the state because they had been hunted to to almost extirpation and so that we needed as a state to step in and set some boundaries in order to preserve the species and so then you define the parameters for how you can have sustainable harvest to provide those benefits both in terms of protein and hides uh, for for human use there's a balance between providing opportunity for, for the public to use and to benefit from these wildlife resources, but also to do so in a way that's that's responsible and sustainable. And so with that, there's a couple of factors. Uh, when we're talking about animals who ha- that have hides that may provide value for, for fur purposes or for leather purposes, we wanna do that harvest at a time when those hides are in good condition. So taking a bear in, in June when its hide is super thin, isn't gonna be a very attractive hide resource, same for fur bears for coyotes and, and fisher and so on. We also want to make sure that we're harvesting species in a time that's biologically appropriate. Harvesting deer in June when they've got dependent fawns isn't biologically appropriate. And so we harvest these species at a time when the young aren't dependent when the population has gone through their breeding season or will still go through their breeding season in a way that isn't impacted by the harvest in any substantive way. And so you can perpetuate the species that way by still achieving that that desired harvest. So there's a combination of factors there, tradition, biology, uh, all come into play.
0: One of the things i found really interesting in this conversation was that in our area and in sullivan county specifically there isn't really a deer overpopulation problem and maybe i just thought it was surprising because of how many times i have had to swerve to avoid deer while driving around sullivan county but i think it also just sort of confirmed that my experience when i was growing up of seeing hunting as an important part of our local culture, was real. And I think part of my interest in hunting comes from this idea of responsible gun ownership, that despite living in this country with an estimated 400 million guns, and that is 1.2 guns per person more than any other country on earth by a long shot, and an epidemic of gun violence, there are still people who own guns not out of fear of one another, but as a legitimate tool to sustainably harvest local meat and to help maintain a healthy and productive ecosystem. And on the topic of hunter safety, Jeremy was right. In 2021, even though more than half a million hunters were active in New York, there was exactly one fatal hunting accident. In a random sample of another half million New Yorkers in that same year, nearly 120 died of opioid overdose. And hunting has gotten progressively safer over the years too. In the late 1940s, the average hunting incident rate in New York was 22.3 per 100,000 hunters. The current five-year average now is just 1.5 incidents per 100,000 hunters. And those are all shooting-related incidents, including just injuries. I think the DEC deserves a lot of credit for that. They have put safety right at the center of their policies and their communications around hunting. Thank you so much to Jeremy Hurst for taking the time to chat this week. And thanks to Jeff Warnick at the DEC press office for helping to set up that interview. And for those of you who are taking part in the upcoming hunting season activities here in our area, good luck, stay safe, and enjoy these beautiful Catskill Mountains. I'm Leif Johansson, and this is Close to Home, a podcast from WJFF Radio Catskill. Have a great week.